Stoics to another episode of Meet the Modern Stoics. This is where today's leading Stoic advocates share ancient wisdom that you can apply for better living today. I'm your host, Scott Perry, creator of the StoicGuitarist.com. Get guided and go Stoic. Adopt the posture of a bulletproof creative, the mindset of a thriving artist, and deliver better work to the right people. Remember that Stoicism is a philosophy of action not navel-gazing. Listen to the wisdom delivered in this episode, and then apply it to your life, your work, and relationships today. Let's meet today's guest. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Scott Perry, the Stoic Guitarist, creator of thestoicguitarist.com. In our first three episodes of this this, uh, live broadcast series, we have what I feel are three of the real superstars in the field of modern stoicism, all associated with the modern stoicism site and all uh, associated with stoic, stoicon and stoic week. Today we have the person leading that event this year, Mr. I'm sorry, Dr. Donald Robertson. Donald, please introduce yourself and give people a, a, I know you have a long list of credentials, but give us a thumbnail sketch. Maybe tell us about the project, Stoke-related project that you're most excited about or working on right now. Well, hi, Scott, and hi, everyone else. First of all, thanks for having me along today. I'm always pleased to talk about Stoicism, and there are a lot of things that I've got to share today. Um, In my introduction, I guess I should say I used to be a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist. These days, since I immigrated to Canada from the UK, I mainly work as a writer and in the personal development training field. Um, And I got into Stoicism many years ago. I I wrote a number of books about Stoicism. And uh, I started off studying academic philosophy at university. But as many of you will know, Often uh, degree courses don't really touch on Stoicism very much, so I I discovered that after I finished my studies and I I realized that it was very relevant to the field of psychotherapy. So that was my uh, approach to the subject. And you've already mentioned a little bit about Stoic Week, so there's really three main things that the modern Stoicism team do. One of them is the blog, Stoicism Today. Maybe we can say a little bit more about that later. And Greg Sadler is the the person that that manages that, but we're very proud of that because it brings together writing from a a huge range of, of different people. And we also have the Stoic Week online course, Also, there's a course called SMRT that goes along with that, Stoic Mindfulness and Resilience Training, and I run both of those. And this year, uh, I'm also organizing the Stoicon Conference in Toronto, so it's going to be in Canada for the first time. So Massimo organized it last year, this year, and I'm I'm the person that's organizing that. So I've got a very busy year ahead of me, Scott. Well, that's really exciting. So I guess you drew the short straw for Stoicon this week. Um, well, I'm very uh, grateful to you for host, for leading, taking the lead on that event. It's going to be my first time uh, to, to make it. I really wanted to come to New York last year, but just couldn't 
working into my schedule. So I'm super excited um, to attend. But the lineup has, it's just like kind of a who's who uh, of, of certainly the people that, um, you know, I, I, I learned first about stoicism in the seventh grade. I think it was about 1976. Um, through my lat first year's Latin class, I took four years. I was one of those guys. Um, and uh, my Latin professor uh, presented me with his copy of Marcus Aurelius, Aurelius's Meditations. And I kept that book and read it annually through college and into my early adulthood and then kind of let it go stagnant. I came back to it about the time I turned 50 just a few years ago because I was starting to think about my own impending uh, mortality and remembered that Marcus had some things to say about that. But then it was Ryan's book. Ryan is Ryan Holiday will be a speaker there. Then it was um, William Irvine's book and William will be there as well. Jules Evans, I, I read his book and he will be there. Um, and then uh, most importantly, uh, in some ways, you and uh, your book, The Stoicism and the Art of uh, Happiness, um, which I'd like to touch on if we can. And then of course, Massimo just released a book that I'm just about halfway through. Um, so that's, I mean, the, just the, the lineup is stellar. What can people expect when they attend uh, an event like Stoicon? Well, this year, I think uh, uh, most of the speakers that we have, possibly all of the speakers, giving the, the plenary sessions anyway, are, are published authors who have specifically written books about Stoicism. So the theme, we have a theme this year, which we kind of stay to fairly loosely because people are often just interested to generally find out about Stoicism. But this year's theme is about Stoicism and work. So that's something that most of the, the speakers will be bringing into their discussion. Um, we... Also, I think for the first time this year, we're going to put a little bit more emphasis uh, based on the feedback that we have from participants in having a, an introduction, a kind of um, crash course in Stoicism at the beginning, because we find there's a real mixture of people in the audience. There are people, academics, who know more about Stoicism perhaps than, than the speakers, and then there are people who are completely new to the subject. I realized by talking to the audience that some of the people there had just been brought along with their friends, and so they say, I know nothing about Stoicism. My husband brought me or my friend brought me. So this year we're going to try and cater to them a little bit more by having a kind of lightning introduction to the subject. And then we've got the parallel sessions, which are longer and they're more like workshops. So people will be able to choose which one of those they want to attend, and they'll be able to kind of spend a little bit more time doing a bit more of a deep dive into a certain aspect of Stoicism. And we also, as people sometimes say, it's in Toronto, or last year it was in New York, but there are other Stoicon X, as we were calling them this year, spin-off events that are going to happen in other parts of the world. So stay tuned to Modern Stoicism for details of those. Um, the, there's one that I'm responsible for, which is going to be the following day after Stoicon in Toronto, in downtown Toronto. We're having uh, Stoicon X Toronto, which will put more emphasis on what we call lightning talks. So we want to get as many people as we can involved in Stoicon. It's for everybody, you know, all of the Stoic communities on the internet. We don't want anyone to feel it's kind of like our baby. It's really meant for everybody to be able to take part in. And so we're kind of reaching out this year to anybody that's maybe not spoken before and wants to give just even a five or ten minute lightning presentation on stoicism and we've had a wave of volunteers for that i think we've had already um, about nine or ten people come forward so we may even have to allocate some extra time for that on the sunday so that's the kind of format basically yeah i think one of those those um 
people that have been nagging you about that is uh, some guy named Scott Perry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was not yet aware of the theme about stoicism in the workplace. Um, one of the, the things that the Stoic guitarist site um, first asserts that everyone is a creative and then poses a question, are you ready to become an artist? And it has to do exactly with this idea of purposeful work and purposeful living. And one of the things, reasons that, you know, I encourage people to go stoic in their journey to level up from create, being a creative to being an artist is because stoicism, you know, is rooted obviously in that dichotomy of control. And of course it, you know, is built on the foundation that we're social creatures with the capacity for reason and, and all these things. But, you know, stoicism, I think if one of the first words that leaps to my mind when people ask me to tell them what stoicism is all about, um, there is that element, you know, any philosophy of life is about identifying what it means to be truly human and truly happy and giving you kind of a, a plan for becoming better at both. And stoicism is seems just to be a very purposeful ancient philosophy and maybe appeals to Westerners because of that more so, even though Buddhism and Buddhist meditation has become immensely popular in the West, it seems like modern Stoicism is really on the rise and it may just be in part because it appeals to that kind of Western mindset. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, in the in our little team, modern Stoicism is a kind of multidisciplinary team. It was set up by Professor Christopher Gill at Exeter University. Um, but we, all of us, I think, have felt kind of humble about uh, Stoics, uh, modern Stoicism, Stoicism Today, Stoicon, we kind of thought that they'd start off as, as small projects and really they surprised us by how much they grew. We had no idea that the media would take so much interest. We had no idea that we'd end up with thousands of people. Last year we had three and a half thousand people enrolled on uh, the Stoic Week course online so it just you know, it became a huge, huge thing. And so obviously it struck a chord with people. And every year we kind of think surely it's peaked now and we can trundle along at this level, but, it'll, you know, maybe it's going to kind of tail off. Maybe stoicism has had its, you know, day in the sun in the media and so on. People are going to lose interest. But in terms of the current interest in, in social media and on the internet, it, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And this year, I think we're on course to have a, a larger conference, for example, than we had last year, just growing it a little bit. Um, and there are more and more books coming out. You mentioned Massimo's books. There's a, there's a couple of other books. One of us, because is Chuck Chakrapani, mm -hmm. a copy of his book here as well. This is this has just come out. Um, and I know there's a few other things in, in the pipeline as well. So Stoicism is growing all the time in popularity for whatever reason. One of the reasons I first became interested in it was because I felt that uh, I felt drawn to, to Buddhism and to Hindu philosophy. I was interested in meditation when I was a young man. And uh, somehow, though, I kind of felt it, it was a little bit too exotic for me. I was reading the Tao Te Ching, for example, and it, it said running a state is like frying small fish. And I could never really figure out what that meant. It seemed a bit too kind of cryptic for me. And then I came across the Stoics, and Although there are problems of interpretation, I, I immediately 
felt more of a connection with it because it seemed more part of the culture that surrounded me. The idea of the memento mori I came across early on and I realised that was part of the history of art um, and there are many examples of that in poetry and literature and paintings and sculpture. I felt that stoicism surrounded me in a sense. I hadn't realised all these things connected together before and they were part of a systematic philosophy of life. So that was how I became interested in it. And I'm kind of privileged over the years to have had an opportunity to speak to so many people who are involved with Stoicism and listen to the things they say. And uh, I noticed that the, the things that people usually say about why they were drawn to Stoicism are they see it often as a kind of alternative to Buddhism, but that's more Western and so more familiar to them in a way. They see it as being a little bit like offering something that Christianity offers, but potentially based on reason rather than faith and more secular. They see it as having some of the benefits of modern academic philosophy, but more grounded and down to earth and, and more practical. So these are things I hear all the time about it. And I think that's a good way of explaining the appeal of Stoicism. It's also like CBT in many respects. Um, but what, where Stoicism differs is that it offers something much bigger and deeper than CBT. It's not just a, a technique, it's not just a therapy, but it's a whole set of values and worldview and way of life. That's, um, yeah, well, so a couple of threads to pull there. One is, you know, stoicism was kind of born and, and certainly flourished during really difficult times. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius being maybe kind of the last of the, you know, great, um, good Roman emperors and, and a practicing Stoic. And I think that's part of the appeal now. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not too difficult to look around and see that we are, you know, living in difficult or at least um, somewhat chaotic times. And Stoicism does, is a pragmatic philosophy of life that not only talks about what it means to be human and happy, but gives you a path and some principles and practices for achieving greater equanimity and tranquility, even when the world seems to be kind of spinning out of control. I, I'm really, I've not yet had the opportunity to, to um, and I don't want to take up too much time with this, but, you know, the fact that stoicism it was practiced by people like Admiral Stockdale, that it was um, at the heart of Viktor Frankl's logos therapy. It was at the heart of, I can't remember the exact name, but the rational behavioral therapy, is that correct? Rational emotive behavior emotive. therapy. And now CBT is, is it draws heavily on that. Um, and since that is, you know, part, has been part of your background, maybe just um, quickly explain why you think that, uh, that that connection happened with like psychology, which was part of ancient philosophical disciplines, uh, was rooted in, in philosophy, but how in modern times it kind of drew from Stoic principles and practices. So how does cognitive therapy and psychology start to, to be inspired by Stoicism? Um, well, Albert Ellis is really very much a seminal figure in that respect. And I, I have to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not super keen on the, the great man theory of history, as it were, but Ellis really, in some respects, is a pivotal figure here. And some of it has to do with his personality. Um, unlike, it has to be said, many therapists, he was a voracious reader. And Ellis knew 
more about the history of psychotherapy, I think, than, than any other famous psychotherapist really that I've come across. And he, he wasn't really much of an academic either, so in some ways that might seem surprising. But he'd read the Stoics when he was very young, and he appreciated the connections between what he was doing and previous literature, not just Stoicism, but, but other previous authors. And so he was in a much better position to draw upon and make use of existing relevant literature and therapy than, than many other psychologists, psychiatrists and psychotherapists were because he was such a voracious reader and, and such a, a well-read man in the, in the history of the subject. And then Ellis inspired other therapists, but it, personally, I, I think there's a, a kind of practical um, reason uh, why why Stoicism became very relevant, and and that's it's got to do with the cent one of the, the central components of Stoic theory. The Stoics had a cognitive theory of the emotions, basically, and the one big fundamental thing they have in common with Ellis and all subsequent cognitive therapy is the cognitive theory of emotions, which basically says uh, often people in ordinary life will say that's just the way I feel. I'm anxious, it's irrational, but you know what? It's just the way that I feel. And Ellis came along and said, well, you know what? It's not just the way that you feel. There are beliefs and value judgments. You know, there's reasoning uh, underlying the feelings that you have. And if you were thinking differently, you, your feelings would probably change. There's a connection between your thoughts and feelings that you're kind of ignoring or in denial of. And, and that's partly why you're struggling with your feelings. So that, that really, I can't emphasize enough how much, especially at the time, that swam against the current because people very strongly held to this view that the, the emotions are separate from the intellect and there was no point trying to kind of reason through them or evaluate the evidence but many of the techniques of cognitive therapy follow on from this basic premise that our feelings are rooted uh, not reducible to but nevertheless rooted in opinions that we have or beliefs that we had because as soon as you admit that then those beliefs may be true or they may be false they may be misconceptions they may be overgeneralizations and we can start properly evaluating them we can begin testing them out in practice and that's what cognitive therapy consists in doing and the stoics realized that they set the they set the foundation uh, for it in place. And also, uh, historically, we'd had Freudianism and that completely dominated therapy and was moving in a very, very different direction. So Ellis and other people in the 60s and 70s were kind of sick of that. Um, they saw that it wasn't really showing results. And so the, the time was right for somebody to come along and say, let's just completely start again from scratch. What are we going to use as an inspiration? Stoicism, right? and that's how it began. But I have to say that although Ellis talks about the Stoics a bit, subsequent cognitive therapists don't really say all that much about them. Um, I mean, the the one the only thing that they actually say about the Stoics is that they're inspired by them, right? and then they don't they don't go on to say anything else about the connections. Although there are many connections. That's interesting. So, well, I I love that. Um, there's two things about what you've said that that really resonate. One is you know, this movement in psychology where instead of going back and revisiting childhood traumas or, or trauma in general and, and like, you know, having to wade back into that morass, you know, you, you instead focus on what's positive, what's within our control and give pragmatic steps to overcome the disabling uh, ac actions or thoughts that can be associated with, with trauma. The other is um, 
you've touched on um, something that I have gotten into a little hot water over and uh, you talked about the academic approach and how the academics don't have much to say about stoicism and Ellis was not himself an academic. You studied um, philosophy uh, in university and uh, I, I, I am on records uh, on YouTube or on the internet uh, somewhere um, for making the comment that university is where art goes to die. And I specifically mentioned classical music, jazz music, and right. the philosophy and, and the art of living, which I said was philosophy. Um, and so, you know, one of the, I guess you've already kind of fleshed this out, but I mean, stoicism in a way is so pragmatic that it doesn't necessarily require academics to argue over esoteric or uh, the minutia. Um, the other thing, and, Tell me if I'm, I'm right in thinking this. One, when you were speaking about this, one of the things that suddenly came to mind was Stoicism and CBT both sort of put the individual at the center. It, they become the hero of their own story and not in a narcissistic or selfish way, but um, you know, they first heal themselves and then they can you know, in a way, do what the Stoics try to do, which is to, to then continue to reach out to the, the circles that surround them and, and make bring a greater understanding um, or, or to be able to treat them as they would themselves like to be treated. And you touched on Christianity, so much Stoic, uh, so many Stoic concepts and insights kind of make their way into Christian uh, doctrine and dogma because, of course, the Christians... Um, uh, my my church, the Catholic Church, in, uh, in particular, was very good at kind of taking the best bits of everybody else's stuff and turning it into uh, a Christian uh, principle or practice. Do you have any? Is, is, am I correct in in saying that that's kind of the the um, at the heart of Stoicism and CBT is this idea of uh, we become the hero of our own story. Yeah, absolutely. And really, actually, to be fair, that goes back to humanistic psychotherapists that followed on from Freud. Um, Freud really decentered the self and said that, you know, you're not really who you think you are and that your whole life is driven by unconscious uh, things that nobody knows anything about except your analyst. And really, the, the humanistic therapists uh, were the first to come along, Fritz Perls, Carl Rogers, in the 1950s. Um, you know, like kind of time of the beatniks and stuff, and say the, real, the, the conscious self is much more central than Freud gave it credit for, and we should take more ownership, as therapists used to say, more responsibility for the way that we respond to things. We should adopt more of a, an active survivor mentality rather than a victim mentality, and so on. And that fits in perfectly with Stoicism. Stoicism emphasizes this element of personal responsibility. But the, the things you were saying kind of reminded me of a couple of other little stories as well. I wanted to just touch on very briefly. Um, one's about panic attacks and, and the other one is about cynicism. And just to say, you know, there's a historical story about the practical emphasis in, in Stoicism. The, after Socrates died, uh, a number of his followers set up schools and the most famous of them was Plato. He set up the academy. Um, but some ancient sources suggested that Plato wasn't a particularly good student of Socrates, that he took his thought in a different direction. And many modern scholars believe that as Plato wrote his dialogues, he introduces progressively more metaphysics, the theory of forms, for example, 
doesn't really seem that something that, that probably originated with Socrates. But then also Socrates had many other followers, such as Xenophon and Tisthenes, who had a much more down-to-earth interpretation of what he was saying. And when the cynics came along, they were in competition with the academy for a long time and had very different, very contrasting views of what Socratic philosophy was all about, or philosophy in general. So the cynics were not bookish. They uh, thought it was a waste of time doing logic and doing natural philosophy. And they thought it was much more important to live a philosophical way of life, to train yourself in the virtues. And in some ways, the Stoics occupy a kind of compromise position. Um, Zeno studied both in the Platonic Academy and under the cynics. And it seems to me essentially what he said was that we should study logic and we should study nature to some extent, but only with the caveat insofar as that's relevant to improving our character and our way of life. And insofar as it's not relevant to that, it's dangerous because it potentially becomes a time-wasting distraction. It can become bookish and pedantic. It can become abstract and we can end up in a, an ivory tower. And certainly I remember when I studied philosophy at university, I spent most of my time in the library. And I don't think that's really where Epictetus wanted his students to spend all of their lives. He wanted them out, you know, living life and doing things and overcoming themselves. The other story I wanted to tell you very briefly is just a, one of my favourite stories. It sums up a lot about the history of psychotherapy. It's a story about panic attacks. Um, people thought panic attacks were virtually untreatable until the middle of the 1980s. And certainly psychoanalysts were rubbish at treating them. And they had no idea really what to do with them. And for a number of reasons, people thought they may have been mainly genetically determined. And then a couple of cognitive therapists came along in the mid-1980s and nailed the treatment protocol for panic attacks. It went from zero to hero. So sometimes people say there's not much progress in history of psychotherapy. But this is an example of a very famous instance of progress. And they did that by applying basic cognitive therapy principles to it. So one of the things that many people find when they're having a panic attack is that they have catastrophic thoughts that pop into their mind that they're going to faint, that they're going to die of a heart attack, that they're going to have a stroke or something like that. And the, the cognitive therapist set about asking people to test these beliefs in practice, to critically evaluate them. And they found that when people really persuaded themselves that the catastrophic thoughts weren't true, that they were unfounded, that they're not going to faint, they're not going to have a panic, they're not going to have a heart attack. Um, these are just uh, fears that they have, they're not physical realities. The, the success rate in treating panic disorder went up to 80-90% in clinical trials, but that's absolutely predicated on the cognitive theory of emotions, and it was a huge step forward in the history of psychotherapy. That's fascinating. Um, well, we are we are approaching the end of our half hour together. I want to just, if anybody is watching live, I am paying a little bit of attention um, on my phone here to see if anybody wants to weigh in with any uh, last questions. Um, but as we wrap up, Donald, um, number one, I, I, I would uh, be more than happy to carry this conversation on for much longer, but I want to be respectful of your time. And these these sessions are meant to really introduce my audience at thesoulguitarist.com and here on the page and in the members only Facebook group, The Painted Porch, to your work and to encourage them to, to connect with you where you are online. Where would you like people to do that? Well, the easiest way to get in touch with me personally is via my personal website, which is just donaldrobertson.name. Um, so it's a, one of those unusual 
domain name endings. So it's just my name, donaldrobertson.name. And you can get my social media contacts or send me an email by the, via the email contact form on the website. And also Modern Stoicism, our team, you can get in touch with and find out about the conference in Stoic Week via modernstoicism.com. And uh, I, congratulations. I think when I logged on this morning, you had 23,001 members on and the one. Now it's gone up. Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, if any of you are here, please uh, do go ahead and like this page, the, the stoicguitarist.com, and follow us. We'll ha uh, be having the next episode of Meet the Modern Stokes here. I do not. Um, I do not see any questions, although we do seem to have quite a few viewers, that's, which is great. Um, so, Donald, just uh, in, in, in wrapping up here, maybe give us the I'm, – I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to Stoicon in October, and uh, there's a couple members of my site that we're going to have our, our own little kind of gathering there. Uh, give us – the number one reason for why people should uh, head to Stoicon in October in Toronto? Because you'll see some of the leading authors in person in the field of Stoicism today, ranging from the more kind of personal development self-help authors like Ryan Holiday and Jules Evans to academics like Christopher Gill and Margaret Graver. And you'll learn a lot about the different approaches to Stoicism. We also have Thomas Jarrett talking about uh, the military uh, applications of Stoic philosophy and in the training courses that he does, and you'll get to meet loads of other Stoics in person. Which I, you know, the community is central to Stoicism. It always was traditionally. The Stoa itself was a community. It was a place that people gathered and they supported each other's learning. So we can do that to some extent online today, but I think people get a lot more out of it when they actually see flesh and blood Stoics and get a chance to, to hang out with them and talk to them as well as learning from the speakers. Excellent. Well, to quote my mentor, Seth Godin, people like us do things like this. And so if you are an aspiring or advancing Stoic, we definitely would love to see you at the StoicCon in Toronto in October. All the details can be found at Donald's site, uh, donaldrobertson.name. And uh, of course, you can go to Modern Stoicism as well and connect with uh, the lineup and get your tickets. And I'm sure those are soon going to run out. Donald Robertson, your work has been so impactful on me. Your book, um, which was, I guess, when I reconnected with Stoicism, was the third in a series that I wrote. And what I loved most about that book was after reading Ryan Holiday's Obstacle is the Way, after reading uh, William Irvine's book, um, I was really ready for kind of a deeper dive into the ancient philosophical discipline of stoicism and you just gave the clearest um it's like a, basically a teach yourself stoicism book but it was just absolutely clear answered so many questions helped me so profoundly thank you for that stay tuned folks we got more folks lined up for meet the modern stoics in the series can't wait to uh connect with some of you at stoicon in october donald robertson thank you so much for being here and we'll see thank you, you all just bye everyone Did you enjoy this episode of Meet the Modern Stoics? Then help me spread the stoic goodness and leave a five-star review on iTunes. Tell a friend about the podcast or email me at scott at thestoicguitars.com. Tell me what you think or who I should have on next. It's always great to hear from you. 
Remember, you can access all of the video versions of these interviews at thestoicguitarist.com. And while you're there, grab the free resource guide and checklist on how to become a bulletproof creative and a thriving artist in any endeavor or enterprise. Thanks for tuning in and for your support and participation. See you next time, fate permitting.